Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, 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 here we are now. Six points clear at the top of the SBFL. What a week it has been. Welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown and the call here in the company of Jico James. How are you? I'm recovering. You, you said it was a great week and it is in one aspect. The other aspect is that I was bedridden for two to three days with some fluish type creature. So rub it in, why don't you? When you, you're all out there celebrating, having fun. <laughs> And I was hurling. You know, last week was bad with all of my description of bodily excrement. And uh, this was an even worse week in reality. So well, we I'm, I'm to happy that. to be back amongst the living and celebrating because I couldn't do it uh, when it should have been happening. Yeah, we were going to bring the podcast to you a little bit earlier this week on Tuesday, but James was feeling under the weather. So we thought we may as well do it with the, the dream team of three rather than uh, me and Alan powering on. Alan Morrison, Celtic by Numbers, how are you getting on? Yeah, very good. And I, I do need to apologize. I have been showing ridiculous amounts of schadenfreude, smugness <laughs> all week to all those that have been pissed off by it. I apologize. <laughs> but if I not now, think... when, Alan? If yeah, not yeah, now, yeah. when? But I do, I do, I do, I do feel this could be, uh, could prove to be quite a uh, important result. Mm. Well, don't back down, double down. That's right. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, we got we got an hour, haven't we? So <laughs> let's see. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it is what it is. Celtic have beaten Rangers at Ibrox. The twelve point swing is completed. Celtic are six points ahead in the SBFL uh, title race. The split is happening uh, next week, so we have six games left to secure the title after what was a disastrous season last year. It, it, it has been said many times, but it cannot be said enough how much of a turnaround this season has been and how different it feels and the connection with the team in comparison to last year and just the general feeling around the team and the manager and the players. It really has been reinvigorated completely uh, since last year. So we'll do our best to pick our way through this game. We've had a long time to kind of think about it and get our general theories about what what went well what didn't go well for Celtic uh, first off Alan I mean what did go well Celtic won the game and Celtic won the game by playing a different type of football that we've be, been uh, used to under Ange Postacoglu it is it was a defensive performance it was a solid performance and it was one where Celtic were unashamedly compact essentially in this in the second half um, I mean I, I'm, I'm going to do a little tactical piece, which I think will be up on my site, I think. So, um, which really sort of describes the game in the classic three-act arc, whereby the first act is the first seven minutes, which were almost disastrous, actually. (laughs) Terrible. Um, And then the, the second act, which was the rest of the first half, which was actually Celtic playing the way that we have become accustomed to them playing. Um, and um, you know, really asserting hegemony on the over the game, um, and uh, you know, but with a few little tactical nuances which we'll cover, and then the final act as the what you alluded to was was the sec was the was the, the second half where uh, you know it was more of a defensive uh, performance, but again, uh, in a way which we've not really seen, and and again, further redefines what our perceptions of Angebol might or might not be. So I thought it was fascinating from that respect. And it's great to look back on it 
because at the time I was just sat there like you know rigid with <laughs> with fear you know of what was going to happen and and tense but you know to actually look back on the game as you know with a wee bit of distance behind us is is great and there's a lot to go at I think yeah big time well I was watching this before the wedding pre-wedding as I said mm. on the review or the preview podcast congratulations turned... I, I, I... Yeah. <laughs> well it, it wasn't you, me it wasn't my you, big you, day. you, you, were, oh, you weren't oh. invited James we had a great time. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. I actually, uh, I should have, I should have told my story at the start of the podcast rather than going into it now. But I'll tell it now. Arrived at the hotel, ready to watch the game. I was already suited and booted. The hotel didn't have the game on. They didn't, and they had the restaurant slash bar closed off for Carvery. So I was like, oh, this, this is a disaster. I went up to the groom's uh, room, and I was getting ready in the groom's room with the the groomsmen and and all that. I wasn't part of the bridal party, but and. I was more nervous. Genuinely, I was more nervous about the day than the groom was about getting married later on that day. That's how nervous I was. Eventually got the game on in the hotel and was watching it back and forth to the guests and the, in the match. And I couldn't, I was too nervous to watch the game when Celtic were winning 2-1. And I was too nervous not to watch the game. So every time I went over to speak to someone, I had to get immediately back to the, the TV. Every time I was at the TV, I wanted to leave because it was just... <laughs> It was so it was so tense, but uh, James, I missed I actually missed the first uh, seven or eight minutes, so I missed the Rangers' dominance per se. So what was your, was your thoughts in, at that point? Yeah, well, that's it. Uh, it I, I um, well, first of all, to, to echo Alan's point, I mean, th- th- this was like a tectonic plate shifting kind of result. So let, let's start there. Um, a lot of what we'll talk about subsequently relative to the minutia of performance. I'm um, probably going to disagree a little bit with Alan on, on uh, the first half is, um, you know, inconsequential relative to the importance of what actually ended up happening. So how and the whys are, you know, analytically uh, interesting, but the big picture stuff's m- much more important and, and uh, to, to be celebrated, <laughs> uh, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that, um, the first half in general uh, echoed a lot of uh, AZ, AZ Alkmaar, um, the way of performance at Alkmaar. And uh, a lot of the underlying stuff c- kind of echoes that when I do my benchmarking and I go through stuff, even in a feverish state, um, it, that, that's the, the game that kind of leapt out to me. And if I just go back to memory, obviously the personnel were different. Um, and the opponent different, but the way the, the game went in the first half, I thought was analogous with that first seven to eight minutes being potentially calamitous. And I, and I think probably my, my takeaway from the game is that um, we got positive variance on a few occasions, which helped. That was big time help, right? We had a couple of instances of individual brilliance, particularly on the first goal with McGregor. Um, you know, the finishes by Carter Vickers and Rogic were great. Um, but Rangers were just really bad in certain ways. And, um, the first half I counted, I think it was, and again, I was in and out of consciousness at times. So I I think I got up to 14 to four. I kind of did it as a, like an attacking platform metric that I do that's kind of conceptual I I do it conceptually I don't you know I I don't document it like Alan does with his his um uh documentation of stats but there were 14 separate sequences of play where if Rangers just weren't shit they could have created a really good opportunity right there was the chance where um Taylor got tracked back and took the ball off Aribo because Aribo had a horrible touch there was a tremendous cross ball to Tavernier that he muffed that turned into a good cross to the back post that was like a foot away from being a tap in for Kent right there was a lot of that just fine margin type of stuff in that first half even outside of the first seven to eight minutes where I felt like and it I think relative to how Ange came out in the second half little bit out of character i think a lot of people would say i think that may have been as a result of the fact that you know we had our moments in the first half but generally speaking i think um outside of some really poor individual uh decisions and some 
one really dumb selection, I think, on the part of their manager. Um, I think that, you know, it was a, uh, I think we were in good stead to be up 2-1 uh, going into the half. And I think Ange smartly um, came out looking to manage the game and just kind of finish it off. Because, uh, again, I saw a lot of things where if they just had a couple of uh, improvements and they made one, if they'd made one tactical s- switch with personnel, could have been a big difference. And um, so that's kind of my read of, of, I mean, the first seven to eight minutes. I mean, it was, you know, we all kind of walk away with the glow, but I mean, <laughs> we couldn't get the ball out of our half to a large degree. And the passing was a train wreck. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've talked about in the last couple of months, as far as if there was an opponent that finally schemed domestically to try and push us in certain ways that I was worried about it. And they did, they just had the wrong personnel in a couple of spots or else. And and they made, you know, some of these bad decisions or had, you know, lacking individual quality on some specific phases of play Um, or else, I mean, that could have easily been three, four nil in the first 10, 15 minutes. Um, Mm So one that shot. one shot. Well, I I agree, Alan. That's what I'm saying. I, yeah. you know, stuff where if Tavernier just simply gets the ball down and doesn't boot it, right? Um, they had a three on two with the whole side of the field cleared out. Yeah, yeah but the you point, know, that the point, kind of thing. Yeah, so, yeah, but the, the point is that the, from from that so in that seven minutes they had one shot, which was you know well worked goal, which was the result of Celtic being completely disorganized, which we'll come to, right? But. The, the, the point, the, the other way of looking at this is, is the point that I made before the game, which is where are they most lacking? They're most lacking in creativity. And creativity is a big subject, right? But creativity means the cross isn't two yards too too high or, or, or a yard wide of the guy. Creativity means you see the pass to the guy that's in space and you give it, right? So that's their weakness. They don't have enough creative players in the final third and they compounded that by playing that you know Jack and Lindstrom, and and, and Aribo, none of them are particularly creative. Both Aribo and Ken are very good at ball carrying, not so good at playing subtle, um, subtle creative passes. Okay, and they and they didn't really get the ball to Ramsey very much in areas where he could hurt Celtic. Well, he and when he did, he was awful. He yeah, was, he he was he, Ramsey was awful. He, yeah, he, yeah, he, was he was the he was. he was the selection that probably sunk the game for them. So 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 basically. You know, I agree with what you're saying is that there was opportunities, but they weren't good enough to take them because they're lacking in those areas and therefore they didn't deserve to win the game in that respect. Well, I, I, again, I'm not talking about deserve. I'm, mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that in my judgment, the, the, the way that we played in that first half was not good. And that, um, you know, whether it's pressure, whether it's uh, whatever the, 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 you know, the forces that were at play, you're right. They, they are not as creative and they do have deficiencies in that regard. But even with having said that, the margins on some of this stuff where they could have turned into really big chances. And this is I'm not saying like small chances or eh kind of chance. These were this is what I've been saying over and over again, where th- this is how uh, Bodo Glimp scores five to one in, in two ties where they took those kind of chances. The space was there. The opportunities were there. Like th- this was the 15 to 20 minutes against Bettis and, and Leverkusen where they dialed it up and ripped us apart. Like that's, I saw the same kind of space available where you're right. They absolutely didn't capitalize on it. What I'm saying is it was there to be capitalized on. Yeah. That's in and of it's that in, yeah. and I'm not, and not just the first seven or eight minutes. That's, I, I think it was the whole first half. Okay. But some, some of that was by design and, and, for, and, and when we can argue that it was the wrong approach, but what, what Postacogby tried to do, which was brave and actually cost us the first goal was he pushed Rogic right up, right? Rogic was probably in, in, in most of the first half, Rogic was the highest Celtic player yep. on the field and he was very central. So he was essentially playing two centre forwards, and he had Jota and Maeda pressing on the wings as well. So we had it was effectively a four-two-four out out of possession. It was a four-two-four. Okay, now now that that went wrong for the goal because what happened was Rogic got caught high, but then the whole team was I think it was literally they were asleep, right? So the, when the ball got switched, the spacing was wrong. There was a big gap where the 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 the, the second the right side of number eight, which would should have been Rogic in defence. I agree Rogic should have been high when we were attacking, 
when, when we're sorry pressing them from from deep but when we're defending our own area Rogic should fall back into that eight position and, and, and there was a huge gap there but even even if Rogic had been there the spacing was all wrong and there was an enormous amount of space for them to play through for the goal so that 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 the, so the system went wrong there there was a systemic breakdown and mm -hmm. then Juranovic lets Kent run off him so there's three things gone wrong there again and I guess what well, it's a goal okay but, yeah, well Juranovic was about five yards too high as well he you was, know, but 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 what what the positive of that approach of pushing Rogic right up? What they were trying to do, I I think, is they were trying to stop Rangers building the play through Jack and Lundstrom, who are both excellent deep progressors off the ball. And if you look at if you look at the the, the data from the game, they hardly they hardly had a chance to play uh, passes through Celtic. Celtic pushed them wide, wide, which is quite brave. Because Tavernier is their most creative player, and Bassi actually had a really good game, he but they, they were they were trying to stop Jack and Lunes from getting on the ball in deep positions, and it worked, and it worked, and it worked, and and actually the, the other aspect of it was that the only player in the field that was able to find space consistently in that first half was Rogic, okay, and he and he and he was the most dangerous player on the field. He had the most shots. He was in the box more than anyone else. He had the highest personal xG. So so net net, it it worked. In this mm -hmm. game, now you, your more general point is around is the same point you've been making rightly a number of times throughout the season, which is this doesn't scale to to the quality of opposition like Leverkusen, and you're and that is also correct. Yeah, so those two things are both correct, I believe. Right. Yeah, so, my 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 bigger point is that I think it had their manager just tweak things a little bit, it wouldn't have scaled against them. Uh, meaning that, you know, I, I think we were. And again, I, 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 the the fact that Ange did what he did in the second half, um, I mean, he, that that is a different. I mean, he didn't do it with you know, fifteen minutes to go. He didn't do it with twenty minutes to go. I mean, we came out in the second half, and basically it was like okay, and I I see that as potential validation of the you know, that he may have been uncomfortable with what was going on too. I mean, it, 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 there, there was a lot of space and, um, you know, again, to their, to, to our credit, you know, we were able to, to prevent them in many ways in, in uh, capitalizing on it and that this quality deficit and creativity. But I mean, if they just hadn't played Ramsey that alone, I mean, he, he was awful. I mean, but without off. but with but without Morelos and um with Jack and Lundstrom and Arrivo on the pitch, if you then take Ramsey off, off out the pitch, you've you've got very little you you're not well, gonna well, score many goals, are you? Well see, I disagree with that. So <laughs> yeah. to me, their pattern and again, I, I, I haven't talked about this that much because I, I you know, not that anyone listens to what I say, but <laughs> relative to what they do, I try to hold back some of what I think. And for me, because of their creativity deficit, the pathway for them against us is to create chances off of turnovers like they were doing almost endlessly in the first half. OK, so why you have why do you not optimize for the press to challenge us in that horrible weakness that we have that they did expose, even with Ramsey as their central defending midfielder in that setup? Right. So if you put Kamara in there or even better yet, put a Rebo there and put Sakala out on the right. Right. So they played a Rebo out of position and diluted his effectiveness, which was crap. He was terrible in the game, too. And they compound that putting a guy in the middle of the pitch that we all know the issues with fitness and sharpness. And he's not a, a you know, a pressing dynamo anyway. I, it was it was so stupid that they went that direction and God bless them for doing it. But had they not like those simple two little tweaks, I could have seen them and en almost endlessly giving us problems for us trying to get the ball out, because mm -hmm. even with those people in the positions that they were, I mean, we they were choking us in getting out from the, uh, our uh, defensive half. I mean, uh, yeah. Listen, I mean, you, you're talking about the. I think we're letting the first seven minutes kind of blind. It wasn't the whole first half. Yeah, you know, we, we the, the, the half time the xG was one point four two to point three eight. Right, they had a Balogun header from a corner, and other than that, it was long range shot. They did nothing in that first I, half. I, I'm not so, talking about xG. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that, yeah, that's, yeah. I, I, that again. I this is why I kind of I document these 
you know, attacking platforms situation. I, I get that. I got that from the Canadian national team coach, right? It's something that they do. I heard it on a podcast a while back. Um, and, and I think it's an interesting concept, concept, which is basically when you get the ball in a certain f- position by, you know, it's kind of like a merge between pack passing and, and taking out defenders and then getting into a point where you're, you have a platform to attack, right? Where you have either a number superiority uh, against the back line um, in a dangerous area and like the attacking third. And this is what I'm saying. They, they basically in the first half were like four to one on that kind of metric versus compared to us. And a lot of that came from turnovers and it was outside. You're right. I mean, the clustering of this, the first, that's why the first seven, eight minutes was a, you know, a, a nightmare. Um, but it didn't, in my view, it didn't get um, appreciably better. I mean, it improved. It went from nightmare to just kind of not good. Um and, and so again, this is why it's good to have a good manager is because he, he did something about it. Right. This is why, you know, so I, the, the end point here, the, 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 the end of the story is good. I'm just, you know, trying to analyze what actually happened. And I, to me, if we'd have kept playing like we did in the first half, I think it would have been, re, you know, a really unwise move. And that's why we have a smart manager who's maybe a great manager who made the adjustments and, we got the, the win as a result, I think. Mm-hmm. Shall we talk about Celtic? Because we sound like a couple of angry bears over here. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <it's>, uh... <laughs> there, there are a number of Celtic players that we could focus on. I mean, Cameron Carter-Vickers, the fridge is what the Celtic fl- players are calling him, and rightly so. I thought Carl Starfelt was excellent as well in the role that he was playing. <laughs> Greg Taylor surprised me. I thought he was quite good and again now i'm not looking at it in an analytical way the same way you are i'm just watching on tv i thought greg taylor stood out as a player that deserved praise after the game uh, maeda as well everywhere uh, as always i thought this was the game where Celtic fans really saw what he is there for and what he can do but uh, i want to start with tom rogic because he was a player that was uh, focused in on on this podcast before the game i know uh, ross from boys, boys analytics would have preferred to see matt o'reilly in there but tom rogic gets his goal and to me, it stands out and his comments in the interview after the match still stand out to me as an important thing to keep in mind in that he was a player that knows how to win a title and knows what is the pressure is like to uh, to be on top and have a chasing pack come after you. Um, and, and in terms of the midfield, Cal McGregor was excellent again, but Hatate looked a little bit headless at the time. So I thought... To have Tom Rogic in there to start with the experience in midfield, I thought that was a wise move from Ange, and it is one that paid off for sure. Anyway, yeah, as I say, he, he was easily the most effective attacking player on the pitch in the on the time in the time that he was on the pitch. And uh, I did a piece today uh, comparing his numbers to to Ramsey. And just as an aside, it's quite hilarious when you see some of the stat sites. There's quite there's a lot of stat sites now that give you quite a lot of data for free. If, for those that are interested in getting and doing some of the stuff yourself, um, uh, is that you know Ramsey and Rogic were rated using their rating systems almost identically, and yet if you actually look at their performance data, other than the fact that they obviously they obviously rate somebody uh, massively uh, highly when they score a goal, and that that kind of you know that kind of uh, uh, you know uh, has such a weighting to it. That uh, they ignore all the other data, <laughs> they go the other ninety nine you know percent of the data that they actually contributed to the game. So you know, you know Rogic was easily easily more effective despite the fact they both scored a goal. It was actually a nice a nice reflection uh, of their respective contributions because Rogic was simultaneously Celtic's most effective attacker and to, to James's point the source of most of the risk that Celtic were experiencing in terms of defensive shape and positioning because. Not not for him, because of him personally, so much as the role that he was asked to play, where he was pushing forward so high, so centrally, as I say, to try and starve their midfielders getting the ball, and very effectively, actually. But the risk was that we would then, on transition, leave these gaps in the middle of the field, as, uh, as it turned out, that cost the goal, partly, but but generally they didn't exploit that effectively other than that. So, so um, you know, his contribution to the team was he did the job that he was asked to do, and he did it really well. Because, as I say, he, of all the of all the attacking players, um, the rest of the three attackers, if you like, um, had very little in the way of shots and xG and chances created. But what they all did with Jota, 
Jakimakis and Maeda was just exceptional work rate off the ball, absolutely exceptional work rate. And they, you know, Rogic is buying each of those three a pint, uh, you know, at some point because they gave him the platform for him to do his stuff on the ball uh, through the work that was going on off the ball from those three. Mm. Well, that's the thing about Tom Rogic, and we've we've done a couple of pieces on him across the year or two that we've been doing this podcast, and I've always said Tom Rogic is my favorite player for Celtic because he can produce absolute moments of magic. He really can. He's a, an exceptional talent, but he is what you would put into the same bracket lazily as a luxury player because you do need those players like me and Jack Marcus and Jota to do the dirty work that he can't do or won't do. Or I mean, he has done it to an extent this season, uh, James. But if you give a player like Rogic the platform to perform, he can. He's shown already that he can still do it at this point. So I, I think he's been incredibly important for Celtic this season. Yeah, I, I think uh, as, as Alan uh, adeptly pointed out, the way that Ange decided to play made his selection over O'Reilly, I think, a slam dunk. Meaning that if you're going to have that attacking eight almost in like a 10 roll, I think that's kind of tailor-made for, for Rogic. Um, and so... You know, having said that, I mean that that makes sense, right? So based off how the manager decided to set up and play, that 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 was the the way to go from a selection perspective. Uh, again, the benefit of having a, a good manager, uh, having coherence there, and um, so yeah, I mean his movement, his um, ability to be in space and receive the ball. I mean that was, you know, probably as Alan said. I mean it was probably the most important part of the first half. Um, I mean, we, 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 um, and you know, that the, the goal, the first goal, I mean, it was just a, it was just a great sequence of play with, with a little bit of luck thrown in and a, a, uh, d- deliciously horrible, uh, keeper error. Um, so, uh, yeah, he, he was, uh, now the one thing I'll say is that, you know, the magic man, his passing was not great. So that was mm-hmm. the one thing, you know, if, if, if you think about, Rogic and how we oftentimes, uh, you know, consider him as being that creative force in the attacking third. It, it wasn't really that. It, it actually, actually, he was pretty poor in his passing yeah. overall. It was more so his movement and you know ability to to find those pockets and and um, drag defenders out. So yeah, it it, it, it was great. And um, you know, it, it, it's uh. I go back to this idea of just it, when, when you see things get done in a way that makes sense, it's so heartening, good or bad. Right. So you can make, as I would say, you, you can have the debate about whether or not that was the right way to set up, but at least it makes sense. Um, and, and to me, you know, that puts Rogic in a position to play the way he should and highlights his positives. And, you know, he, he certainly, um, you know, paid back his manager for for uh, for making that decision. Yeah, I liked his celebration as well. It was subdued. It was very much just like, yes. right, let's go. We're back in it. Let's get let's get a second and let's. There uh, might, yeah, there, there might have been a reason for that. Offside. No, no, <laughs> no? no. What's but your theory? It, they may he was, he was too busy dropping glass on the field before the shot, no. or what? <laughs> given the behaviour and the circumstances of the game and the behaviours on display, perhaps it was wise not to uh, get people too excited. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I, for all the data, I'm going to bring some intangibles. That goal doesn't happen without Cal McGregor being absolutely just forceful and determined uh, not to lose uh, possession in that situation. And it's, it's just it was an unbelievable run. Uh, I, I just can't get my head around the idea that people think there are better centre midfielders in Scotland at the minute than Cal McGregor. I think all round in terms of, you know, ball play, attitude, positional, like adjusting adjusting to different positions. I can't see anybody in Scotland as better than Cal McGregor at at, at the well, midfield he, at being a general midfielder. He's, yeah, I mean, he he you know he he put in a ton of work. I mean, he he had 12, 12 sort of duels he was involved in, which is one of you know one of the top numbers. Seven that he was successful in, seventeen recoveries was the most in the team. 
um, four clearances as well. Um, you know, he only really completed, he completed 32 passes, 80%, not not fantastic, didn't do a lot in terms of, and he did have one key, one key pass, I guess. But again, it was like like a lot of people in the team. It, it was a it was a more of a team game, very much a team effort, really. I mean, the if you look at the the whole sort of package of data at the individual player level for the game, the the two numbers that stand out more than any other numbers are, are the amount of pressures that uh, Jakimakis and Maeda uh, applied to, to their uh, to their defenders. Uh, that that was just like off the scale levels of work of of, of pressing the opposition. And, and not and not giving them a moment to build the game, um, and 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 that 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 was it, that kind of epitomised the way that the team is set up. I mean, you know, Maeda contributed virtually nothing in an attacking sense, and yet was absolutely fundamental to Celtic winning the game by defending from the front. Mm-hmm. Well, Jack Macus people... and Jota as well. I mean, it was all both, three. Yeah, both. Yeah. All three, even Jota. I mean, to a lesser yeah. degree, but for him, you know, it's like sliding yes. scale. I mean, just uh, yeoman's work in in doing that. Um, uh, the, the two the two players who were involved in the most duels for Celtic were um, Jakimakis and Maeda. Okay, the, the, the forwards. Okay, um, it was just just ludicrous uh, ludicrous amounts for it right there. Yeah, a lot of people have been in touch with us asking, do we know how much distance Maeda covered? Uh, we don't because we don't have access to his. Uh, GPS, but do you want to take a stab at it, Alan? Do you want to guess? <laughs> I, I had no idea, but listen, we talk about Maeda, right? But you know, the most defensive actions by any Celtic player, the most defensive actions by any Celtic player was Jakimakis with 24. Okay, uh, Maeda w- was fourth actually on 17. Uh, Jakimakis had uh, more challenges and interceptions than Maeda, he had one more pressure than Maeda. Um, Maida's, Maida's pressures led to slightly more regains so there was just seven and a half regains off of Maida's pressures and 6.6 off of Giacomacus's but actually if anything Giacomacus's defensive efforts were even more uh, noteworthy Yeah especially for a, a big man like Giacomacus he was speaking in front of the media today by the way and he was asked about his comments uh, about winning the title and better players and Ryan Jack's uh, debutal of it, uh, rebutal of it rather. And uh, he, he just doubled down. Don't back down, double down. As, as they say, he, he said, look, we're, I just think we're better players. And like most of us probably assumed he was just being confident within his teammates and just knows how good this team are. So uh, hopefully he's correct, but the end of the season, they'll be lifting the title and uh, he will be uh, proven correct and not disrespectful. Uh, to Ryan Jack. Um, before we go on to the defense, I, 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 will... I think I think I think that's a good answer, don't you? I think it's I think it's a pretty good answer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, the the game for me was one when Ryan Jack was in front of the media and he was staring down at his feet talking about Jack and Marcus. <laughs> it's just oh, don't, don't it's hilarious. How... He's not he's not the brightest kid. I mean, come oh, on, <laughs> he, uh, can't, he, he can't help what he was born with, can he? <laughs> he, he looks shell shocked at the the sight of it. Um, anyway, before we move on to the defense, I would recommend uh, if anybody wants a good visual aspect of this to take a look at Kieran Devlin's piece on the Athletic because I think I thought he did a really good uh, breakdown of uh, the Celtic defense and visualizing it and. It was essentially what Livingston have been doing to Celtic for the last number of years. It was, in very simple terms, it was just being as compact as possible, not letting the midfield through, and forcing them out wide and saying, cross the ball, we'll clear it all. So um, do you want to talk us through the defence from uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers to Starfelt and uh, their impact on the game? Uh, Yeah, I mean, again, to me, it's a a tale of two halves, meaning that um, the the first half, uh, they were... Outside of the first seven, eight minutes, I'd say competent um, defensively, but uh, a little frightening in possession. And in the second half, when they were put in that role that really is tailor-made for both of them, you know what I mean? You could have put Julian in that role too, right? Which is basically uh, defend your box. And, uh, you know, we've talked... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Talked about that with both of these guys. That I mean, they're really good at that. Um, Could she and Duffy have done it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Was a good, second half was made for Shane Duffy. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it and uh, again back to Ange and you know the management team. We'll give them all credit. Is Rangers did not have the personnel on the pitch to combat that. I mean, roof, or the bench or the bench, right? Exactly. So, you know, they, they don't really have somebody that's aerially dominant in attack. Uh, even their center backs, you know, they threw, you know, they pulled uh, the old Lennon uh, playbook out and throwing the Goldson up front, up top. Um, and, you know, he's not particularly good in the air either for, for, for a center back. You know what I mean? Like his, his, the amount of chances that he gets to head the ball and score, he, you know, not, not so great. Um so they don't have really any kind of aerial dominance. So we basically said, you know, try and beat us that way. And it was, uh, you know, cross after cross after cross. And f- again, it was not a large number, but there were a couple of chances where had they had a better cross, I think of one in particular, and I, to Alan's point earlier, I mean, Bassey was really good in the game. He, he actually, by most metrics, um, he was by a good distance their best player and uh he, he put in one cross late that was you know a little short uh even though well shaped and i th- it was that was the big one that jack Amakis cleared out and you know understandably and justifiably got good credit for that but both starfeld and carter vickers were pretty much mispositioned on it and there was a guy at the six yard at, at the penalty spot and another guy you know, maybe three yards behind him that had the ball been about a foot higher <laughs> were right there. Um, so, you know, that's the chances that you take when you lob in 40 crosses or whatever it was that at some point, one of them happens to find a head. And um, so we're, you know, we're fortunate that the relatively small number that we didn't have every single guy covered, uh, you know, didn't turn into a, a decent chance for him. Um so yeah, it, it was a, a great bunkering performance. Mm. Joe Hart pulled off a good save in the second half as well from a shot just inside the box, I think. Uh, I can't remember who took the shot. It's a call. Alan, yep. it's a call. Uh, Alan, what was your general thoughts on the um, the defending? Did you have data or like for headed jewels or anything in the box that? Well, as James said, I mean the the. A little interesting sidebar to this, and this is about expected goals, so it's relevant to what you're asking me, is um, that, you know, my very crude model actually kind of overinflated, I think, for this game, uh, the Rangers XG up to 
five, I think I had it as, or maybe not that much, but yeah, one point five. And um, and the reason for that mainly was because uh, a couple of chances that Roof had that were very central and quite close to goal. One which he volleyed over the bar, and one which he was leaning back and heading. Now the stats bomb model had had only had them as 0.89 xg, and the reason for that is because um, you know it took it takes into account the height of the of the the ball as it's coming in and the amount of pressure that the player is under. So I I think I my model overstated the the quality of their chances. So it's so really. 0.89 of which I think you know, 0.3 of it was in the first half. So 0.6 xg they they got out of that second half from from as James says. I think in the second half there was like 32 crosses in the in the second half. And there was about nine in the first half. I spent the second half screaming at people, get out to the ball, get out to the ball, get out to the ball, like an idiot, right? Because, um, you know, uh, the, the, because you know Tavernier is a good crosser, right? You don't want to give him time to to control the ball, look up. Shape across it. I'm thinking, come on, get out to the guy, get out to him, get out to him, get out. And we were quite slow getting out and blocking these crosses. But if you, if you, if you want to understand why why Postacoglu might be genius, there's an interview with Callum McGregor uh, after the game, and I can't remember if it's on Celtic TV or whether it's uh, uh, I don't know where. I can't remember where I saw it. And Callum McGregor um, describes how Celtic played in that second half, and he talks about a medium block, and he talks about the shape of the team, and he talks about the approach. And what that said to me is, because is, you know, footballers aren't generally the brightest, but what it says to me is, it's like the old Einstein thing, that if you can't explain it to somebody else, then you don't really understand it. What Postacoglu does is he makes things simple for his players. And we've, set, we've touched on this time and time again as we've gone through the season. It's a theme. And what he does, he's made, he makes the game simple for players. And players like that. They really do appreciate that. And actually, it takes genius to simplify things and not make it complicated. Guardiola can make it infinitely complicated because he's got almost infinite resources with which to do it. And if one hundred million player, pound player isn't doing what, what he thinks in his, his incredibly overthinking mind his team should be doing, he's got another hundred million pound player to bring off the bench to, to, to have a go at it, right? So... You know, most ninety nine percent of managers don't have that luxury. So, if you can make if you can make the task um, simple for your players, and that's both in terms of you know clearing their minds of clutter as well as making the tactical approach simple, then with a, with a half decent bunch of professionals like Livingston, for example, you, you, you're you're going to do a decent job, right? You really are. And and he, you know he's obviously got far more resources at his disposal than than what they do at Livingston. So. You know that to me was the main takeaway, and and because I, I as as, as I, uh, when I ended up capturing the data, I knew people would want to know about Carter Vickers and about Rogic and what did they do as individuals, and it is interesting. And the Maeda, Jakimakis stuff is actually the most interesting if, for me personally, um, but the most important takeaway for me is just the the extent to which the team ethic, the team culture, the team shape, the team dynamics, the organisation, the purpose. Is, is being embedded uh, uh, more strongly week by week by week. And that's why Celtic will win. Mm. Well, that, that's the bonus of a system play. And, I, and I've sort of spoken about the downside of a system in which that if, if one cog or three cogs, for example, don't work, then it can have a you know systemic issue uh, in terms of what it does to the team. But if you have it all clicking, then those weaker cogs suddenly are are not so noticeable anymore like and i i feel bad using this guy as an example because he's been exceptional this year but he's the prime example of how this works and that's anthony ralston like if you take him in educate him in one specific thing that he has to do rather than throwing him in saying defend then he, if you tell him what to do he'll figure he will he, he knows what to do so he just needs to think about that he doesn't need to think about how i'm impacting uh, on Carter Vickers, how I'm impacting on the forwards. He just needs to do that one specific job. And I think that is what Ange does. He doesn't get the guys to do anything that's out of their wheelhouse. It's all uh, planned to a T. One player has three or four specific jobs. You do them jobs and the whole team will click. Yeah, th there aren't too many Jimi Hendrix, right? So, But there are a lot of people that can be technically proficient uh, uh, studio musicians, right? So when you have when you have the 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 genius, let's call it, or the really really smart guy, uh, is the band leader. You just need proficient people, and and you know 
he'll write the music. He'll make sure, he'll put people in the positions and instruct them as far as what to do. And if he's really good at it, as Alan said, doing it in a, in a communication strategy, that's going to make it easily digestible. And it, th this is where I keep coming back to it. I mean, that, that to me is over and over again, what we see with Ange is that, um, the, 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 the competency to slash really smart decisions that get made. Um, and you know, uh, the adjustments he made Sunday is an example, the selections that he made relative to how he wanted to play, um, you know, got guys that were, you know, even Talon's point uh, that we, you know, some of the criticisms that we've had earlier in the season, even uh, substitution patterns, uh, you know, he got Hatate out of there maybe a little later than I'm guessing Alan probably would have wanted him to be, <laughs> but um, you know, the hook was not late this time. It was, yeah. uh, you know, he, and he should have been out. Um, yeah. but, sorry, James. Just a little. Bitton's numbers actually were were incredible. Considering, considering he was only on the pitch twenty eight minutes, he and, won and, more challenges than any other player. And, and not only that, again, back to how we were playing. Who better do you want in that position out of the the, the pool of players to make that substitution than putting uh, Bitton where he was put and then sliding McGregor out to where he was put? Right, made sense. And it was you know, and they performed given the way that we were playing in the, in the game conditions that were uh, the game environment at the time. So yeah, it, it, it was, it was like a, to me, it was like a managerial orchestra that was put in play. And I, I think a lot of people understandably give the players a lot of credit and they deserve credit, obviously. But to me, it's, I mean, it was really, they were proficient. Most of them did what you would expect them to do, but we had someone that put them in position to do it and made the adjustments when they needed to be made. Um, and by comparison to the other team, it was like, you know, a 10 foot giant versus someone who's not 10 foot. Um, You're saying Van Bronckers is not oh, 10 I didn't foot. say that. Don't you, I don't be like that. I said he's not 10 foot, which is that. Only facts, only facts on the show, only facts. Um, so look, what this means is very simply Celtic are six points ahead, having been six points behind. Uh, in the driving seat, they've got Rangers in the Scottish Cup semi-final next week. Um, if, <laughs> I mean, if Celtic win that, they're on for the treble, which is absolutely exceptional compared to where we were last season. But if Celtic do win that, that surely is the demoralizing result for Rangers, the, the nail in the coffin for the rest of the season, because that means Celtic have their number completely. And for me, that if I was playing for Rangers and Celtic beat me next week in the Scottish Cup semi-final, I would, I would be demoralised. I would be thinking they are they're they're better enough. They're going to win the league. Hmm. I mean, according to a lot of their podcasters and pundits, a lot of their players have dialed out, which we kind of knew uh, anyway. I mean, not 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 being smart, just we recognize you recognize it because we've lived through it ourselves last year you know we we had a core of players uh, our best players probably arguably you know Ayer, Christie, you know Edward uh, and Cham uh, who did, who really were, were looking for their next move and i be, i believe they're in the same position uh, with with a core of of their players you know the, 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 we, i cannot potentially potentially we cannot underestimate the impact of that, whether 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 we lose the semi final or not, the impact of that result on Sunday. Um, you know, if you look at their squad, and I'm sorry we're talking about them again. But if you look at their squad, you look at the number of players that are going to leave in the summer. Okay, like Goldson, Goldson, they're getting nothing for. He's 26. Morales. Okay, Morelos has got a year left on his contract. So the three most marketable uh, players, Morelos, Kent, and Arriba, have got one year left on their contracts. Okay, and they're all 25 years old. So their next contract is the, is the big one, right? And and it'll be even bigger if they're getting a big signing on fee because there's very little transfer fee involved, okay? And that's you know before you, you touch on the the massive amount of experience it's about to walk out the door, as well. And, and then you you you've you've just got an yeah, incredibly difficult rebuilding job there. Now Celtic had were in a similar position this year, but the advantage Celtic had was on top of COVID, uh, they had thirty million pounds in the bank and they were able to realize value for the assets that I mentioned Ayer, Edward etc. So Kapostokoglu has been able to completely overhaul the squad whilst bringing in 40 million and spending roughly 20 million 
Okay, that's how you do a rebuild. Now, fortunately, we've got somebody who's coherently been able to recruit players that fit the system he wants to play. That's not a given. And we've seen with Van Bronckhorst, tactically, in two games against Celtic, he's been really poor. So can he spot a player? We don't know yet. So, and that's before we even get into uh, the financial state of the club. And, you know, that's more James's uh, bailiwick than mine, so I'll let him cover that one. But, but you know, there, are, there have been some prominent blogs this week that, that are almost calling it in terms of this could be the end of the Charles Green experiment. Uh, now, I don't, I, I don't have data to go that far, but I think we're, we're, uh, this could be a very, very significant turning point. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I would say um, I'm, I'm less convinced on the, uh, the echo of 2012 revisiting, but whether it will be a debilitating, uh, is why I, I characterize it as a, as a potential tectonic plate shift, meaning that um, one of the issues that we were going to have if we didn't, I shouldn't say if we didn't, I'm going to jinx us, if we don't, win the league um that extra kind of 20 to 25 million that kicks in from the champions league is that that basically covers us from an operating basis going into next season meaning that without that money we would have likely had to sell somebody and that would have been exclusive of signing a ccv or a jota Okay, so we've been running an operating deficit of around 10 to 15 million a year in the post Champions League Rogers era. Right. So we kind of built up this cash reserve on the back of those two seasons um, and some player sales like Tierney. And then from there, it's basically been, you know, a slow bleed until the pandemic hit and then everything got cleaned out. And we almost started back from square one from a financial perspective. So heading into next season without, you know, selling uh, uh, a Kyogo or uh, flipping Jota, as I've talked about, buy, you know, pay the six and sell them for 12, that kind of thing. Th- that was going to be a kind of a 10 to 12 or maybe 15 million pound hole that would have had to have been filled uh, in order to kind of just meet the operating budget to keep the wage bill where it's been at. Yeah, and, right. and we're and we're a well-run, well-commercialized club. Exactly, exactly. Yes. So, so what where the, what this comes into is e- even if they're able to monetize some of the players that have the year left, they've been running at an operating deficit, and they've been financing it through um, debt to equity swaps. So, you know, they've almost right-sized that at a Europe a Europa League level, almost. Okay. Um, but not quite sufficiently. So that's what the Patterson deal basically did is it gave, it gave them a bridge up through the end of the season. So th- they might be able to kind of carry over with some player sales. But again, where are the resources then to buy and to keep the wage bill at a commiserate level? That's where I think it's probably unlikely. Meaning that do I, do I think it's an administration issue? Probably not. I mean, they're, they're going to have enough wiggle room, I think, unless they're, they're going to need outside capital probably in order to kind of reboot, right? So if they're going to want to fund a rebuild with tra- with, uh, with a transfer budget, transfer um, payment budget, then that's probably where you get into they're going to need access uh, outside capital. Um, it's not, in my judgment, it's not a solvency issue unless there's some other contingent yeah, but, liability. But James, you're, 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 well, there, there are contingent liabilities. Well, potentially. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 there is one, right? We know that. The, 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 uh, the Sports well, Direct one it will, will land, right? That's not well, contingent. That, that, that's that, it's just it's just a question of when and, and what the what the precise number is. That's done. Okay. Right. So, but but well, you, what you're describing, as you always do, you're describing very rationally. Okay. But the situation that they're in is is that the people running the club are first and foremost fans. They're supporters. Okay. Like most clubs, absolutely. That's why well, most no, clubs no, are no, run no, like no, disasters. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and, and that's why you don't generally have fans running clubs because sometimes you have to make decisions that are unpopular with your customer base. And that yep. does and, and look at what the debacle around the Sydney Cup, okay? It's pander, 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 pander. Yeah. Okay. And, and as Walter Smith rightly said, they, they will not tolerate you know, a plucky second to Celtic. That that version of a Rangers that is 
running uh, an economic model commensurate with this actual size of their club, okay, is not acceptable to their to their customers, right? And that's the that's the bind that they are always going to be in, because because what they've they've now almost equaled Celtic's wage bill with 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 a fraction of the commercial income, and and less ticket and uh, football money coming in because the stadium's ten thousand seats smaller. No, agree. No. But, so, but that, so, so, that, so, that's so, why. That's so you, why either, you either. So there is a club there to be ran on a sustainable basis. That means there isn't going to be an insolvency event. Absolutely, one hundred percent. But how many of their supporters will accept that? I, 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 I agreed. But again, this is why I go back to why the gamble that they made relative to winning the league this year was, in some ways, reasonable relative to potential i'm not saying it would have happened i'm saying it would have potentially endowed um that reaching of financial sustainability okay so that would have given them the pathway to do that now for them to get there they're going to need excess ca- uh out, outside capital in order to your point to not have some kind of transition year right where they they basically say okay we're gonna do a lot of freeze we're gonna have a very small transfer budget and we're going to sell the people that we can sell that's not nailed down and basically maybe sell a youth player that we can, you know what I mean? Like they've got some levers to pull that could, if they were saying, okay, we're going to get, because let's be practical about this. Like if I, if I'm a serious person at Rangers, I'm looking at an Ange Pasta Lukoglu side that might get, you know, 10, another 10 to 15 million to spend this summer and still be financially in decent shape. Um, you know, meaning that that's not pushing the boundaries that's being within the realm of prudence. You know, <laughs> what's my probabilities the spectrum of, of winning the league next year? It's not going to be good. Hmm. Um, so, you know, do you do you placate the mob by throwing money down the toilet? So that's that's going to be that that's the good part. We push them to that point <clears throat> of having to make that decision. Um, my because thing they is can't, they can't they can't do the equities swap forever i mean well they can people, well in theory but these right, people are essentially right. plund, you know these people are essentially plundering their own well right this is where i you know i have more of a macro view because what i do for my day job is uh you know we're in deep trouble uh, europe's in deep trouble uh yeah. from a financial and economic perspective here probably in the next 12 to 18 months in my judgment anyway and so you got a lot of these people that have been funding clubs, and this is broader. This is a pan-European issue. This is not just at Rangers, you know, clubs financing through, you know, fans basically, um, who's have their risk assets and their portfolios going berserk for the last ten years, ever since the global financial crisis. So what happens if their risk assets go down another 40 percent from here? How much are they going to be willing to pony up that five million, that three million? to pop into the club knowing that it's getting flushed down the toilet um you know so it's means versus once and i think we're moving into a, a regime of you know a lot more uh means <laughs> uh in the next 12 months so this is this this is why i say that there's a lot of potential here for bad decision making and they certainly have a track record of doing it i'm just saying that it's not likely to be acute it's not likely to be going into next season where we're gonna ha- all have fun like you know we did a decade ago mm-hmm. uh let's talk about more immediate yep. things because uh st johnson are up th- this week and um, i should say exciting news for the channel over the next couple of weeks uh, after the split which is now technically a race to the title or run to the title uh, i've set up a couple of uh previews and stuff with other celtic podcasts so we're going to be joined by uh, the guys from Endless Celts. We're going to be joined by uh, the Celtic Exchange, Ryan Fitzsimons from the Celtic, the Sun, the Thunder, Glasgow's Green Podcast, Hamish from Sixty Seven Hill Hill. They will all be on uh, the Breakdown Inc. over the course of the six-week period in which, or the four-week period in which Celtic will play six games in the run-in to the title. So, uh, if you want to get all that, you can subscribe to the channel and you'll get notified when those videos are live uh, so just finishing up real quickly st johnson this weekend it seems like almost back to reality after a long period of of celtic ranger stuff old firm stuff old firm stuff it's it's the old firm guys did you know it's the old firm it's definitely the old firm until your sign goes into the bin 
telling you that it's the old firm after you get defeated. So, uh, yeah. St. Johnson, this weekend, what are we doing? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm nursing my crippling insecurity. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah. uh, first thing, a shout out. There's an account on Twitter, St. Johnston uh, Analysis. He does a good job. So if you're looking yes. for a brush up on uh, St. Johnston, they've had an uptick in form recently. Yep. Uh, their perpetual problem this season has been one of uh, chance creation and scoring. Uh, so I think it's, uh, is it, is it Hendry Callum, Callum Hendry? I, yeah, his name. Hendry, yeah, he's got, yeah. he's got, he's up to six goals. In the yeah. League. So he, he's had a bit of a, a, a good stretch here. Um, you know, to, to me, it's going to be back to the future here. So we're going to go back to more of a, um, a Livy type of game more, most likely. And it's going to be, you know, a bunkered opponent and can we figure out a way through and and uh, so hopefully it's another game for Jackamacus. Um, hopefully, hopefully uh, they don't get any set pieces. You know what I mean? Score on their one or two chances the whole game. Should be one of those types of games where we dominate and just overwhelm. Um, and 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 you know th- this this should be the kind of an opponent where it's very controlled and relatively straightforward. But having said that, um, they've been playing better. And again, it's under the underlying metrics have suggested that too, meaning that they've been getting a little bit better and they've had some transfers in, in January. I think, I think they've helped Malberg, I think. Um, so, you know, I think they're, they're better than they've been prior in the season, but you know, hopefully it should be comfortable. Yeah. They've only, they've only lost three of the last eight, which is good form for the way it was going for them. Um, they've, they've settled on a, as James said, they're going to, they're going to have three centre backs stationed along the six-yard box, three big big guys. We've seen this movie many times before. Interesting twist might be there are quite a few points ahead of Dundee now. Um, now, obviously, I'm I'm just need to check where they are as regards. Um, I think they're still a bit behind Saint Mirren, though. Yeah, they're 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 sorry, they're yeah, they're six points behind Saint Mirren. I so so they wouldn't be dragged into a playoff potentially. And they are uh, six points um, ahead of Dundee, so that suggests to me they'll probably be conservative. I was just wondering in my mind whether they could see the game as a free hit, like if they went for it um, and won the game, it's like happy days. If they lose, it's really not not such a biggie. But I think they want to, they'll want to make sure that they stay uh, well ahead of Dundee because that's that's relegation. So uh, I suspect it's going to be all out defence. It's going to be you know it's going to be a low block. It's three centre backs at the back. It's going to be another two defensive players on the flanks, and it's going to be uh, can we can we break them down? But um, you know what we've seen uh, against Livingston, against Ross County, and to an extent against Dundee United is you know we've got a lot more variety now, a lot more ways to unpick teams like this. Um, you know Maeda's diagonal runs. Uh, his Maida or or about arriving in the box late. Giacomakis can do the brute strength thing. Just get the ball to him anywhere in the box at any angle at any height. And providing he doesn't have to take a touch to control it, it's probably going to be a goal. You know that sort of thing. So um, we've got more armory now. We've got a stacked bench. So you know I think it'll be tough. I think it'll be you know a doer. But but you know hopefully we'll get the job done. Yeah, yeah. Out, of, out of the out of the remaining fixtures, I mean, we don't quite know what the post split will look like. I mean, that, that's going to be fascinating this weekend to see how that all shakes yeah. out. Praying, praying, Motherwell make it. Love yeah, Motherwell. Mother. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Motherwell over Aberdeen for sure. Oh, gotcha. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, this game uh, and then probably the Hearts game are the two that I would be most nervous about. You know, if I have to say rank them, which ones would I have more anxiety about dropping points potentially? Like this is one of those games where I could see us shoot, you know, 25, 30 times and somehow it's a nil-nil draw. Like that in the grand scheme of things, the probability of that I think is higher than, you know, us us drawing against a Motherwell or uh, a Hibs or, or that kind of thing. Uh, so, so James, I mean, heart, hearts are 14 points clear in second place. I, I you know, they, they'll be on holiday. I mean, I'm not well, saying I'm, I'm still be professional. It'll be tough. Cause they, right. they, they, you know, they love playing Celtic and all that good stuff, but suitors still injured, etc. You know, uh, 
it's, it's not. I mean, the Hearts gave Celtic a great game when they were if they'd won the game, they would have gone above Celtic into second place. This is a very different situation. This is why well, these games. You know, we, we, we you know we talked about um, sort of pre-split, pro-split. Sometimes post-split, you get some pretty one-sided games because once you get into the top six and then you can't move. Some teams, there's not a lot in it for them. But but before the split, you know, everybody's got something to play for and every position matters. And and all these games have been really tough. And that's why, you know, it's, you know there's been some unexpected drop points going on. But sometimes when you get post-split, you think, oh, you're playing all the big teams, but they're like, they've got literally nothing to play for here. Right. And that makes that, that, that little 1%, it's just, it's just 1% yep. or 2% less on it is enough to make the game more comfortable for your opponent. Well, I, I think that if that that'll be uh, that'll be a home game, I think, right? Hearts is home, yeah. yeah right. Well, it that, should that, be. It should right, be yeah. right. Well, right. From your lips. From your lips. That'll be an interesting. That well, might be the telltale sign whether there's some. Uh... <laughs> well, it's going to be it's going to be screwed up anyway, and it and it and it didn't have to be. And I've written about this because right. they they stacked it. They, they stacked it wrongly from the start, right? Anyway, I'm saying no more. <laughs> yeah. We shall wait and see. All I'm hoping is that the high of winning again against Rangers away won't impact this result. They won't be tired emotionally going into this. Hopefully, they've had a week uh, can, to, yeah. to cry about, to celebrate. Yeah. Exactly. Right. That shall do it. It's just over an hour worth of uh, content over the Derby. And, um, Look, there's plenty to get into over the next couple of weeks. The title is not won yet, but hopefully we are on the way to another league title under Ange Watsukoglu. James, Alan, pleasure as always. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. Right, we'll chat to you next week. Good luck. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 